This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Teresa Van Ettinger. I'd say something really awesome, but I just recorded nine hours of Critical Hit, and I'm a little exhausted. This one's for you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. One Thursday, nearly 2,000 years after things happened, one girl sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rickmansworth suddenly realized what it was that had been going wrong all the time and knew how the world could be a good and happy place. This is not her story. But it is the story of major spoilers. Making the world a good and happy place. One spoilerite at a time. Welcome to the weekend edition of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So Yay! glad that you're with us this week. And yes, we will be talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We're going to talk about yep. that a little bit later in the show. I want to give you a little heads up. Of course, if you didn't listen to my interview with Mark Wade earlier in the week, we kind of flipped things around. That would have run Saturday, but it was such a big piece that and uh, such a big name that I thought it'd be better to uh, to let Mark have the uh, the Tuesday spot as opposed to forcing him to the weekend. We should have named it Mark Wade's Big Piece. <laughs> uh, it was fun. It was fun talking with uh, Mark Wade, and I thank uh, him and Boom Studios for helping us set that up. And hopefully Mark will come back again in the future to talk Batman, Legion of Superheroes, and a whole lot more. But today we're going to be talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in just a little while. Uh, Rodrigo is not here. You know, for a while, Matthew, we were doing this series of um, uh, the other book what was that? What the other book word review. book? Yeah, and the we other re- word book review. And uh, we had reviewed some stuff on the show, and then Rodrigo, can you believe it? Rodrigo has never read um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, I can believe it. Rodrigo is what twenty six, twenty seven, eight thirty, something well, like that. Something that most people don't realize is Hitchhikers came out initially in nineteen seventy nine. Right. That's 40 years ago. No, mm-hmm. that's 31 years ago. Math is hard. Let's go shopping. <laughs> but, you know, 31 years is an infinite amount of time in pop culture terms. Right, right. You know, it, it's, it's, and even though, yes, there was a huge high profile movie, the movie was controversial among the fans and it didn't really, you know, it, sure, it hit the the larger consciousness, but most people think, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that's that's that thing with most deaf from oh five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not as though this is. Well, it is and it isn't, but it's not as more as though this is absolute necessary reading for a geek anymore. Yeah, I guess you can it see that, especially be. since Douglas Adams died. What almost fifteen years ago now, ten years ago. Yeah, Doug's that's been dead sad. for. Wow, yeah, I like think 2001. 90, was it 2001? I think it was, I think it was 94. Maybe I'm full of crap. No, you're right. 2001. Yeah. I was in California but, at the time. I was sad. 
But we'll we'll talk more about that in the in a little while. But I, I bring up Rodrigo because I had given him all of my hitchhikers books and said read them and we'll do them next month on the uh, or at least I know I gave him the first one and I said we'll do them next month on the uh, the other book review and then he never got around to reading it and so now that he's not here, Matthew suggested hey. Why don't we do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And it's a perfect time, I think. We're old and we've read the thing. Yes. And so we're going to dive into some old nerd geek culture a little bit later in the show. But first, let's talk about a couple of uh, news items that popped up on the site this week. <laughs> Matthew, you've got a, you've got a choice. You, we can talk mm-hmm. about the Black Cauldron getting a 25th anniversary DVD release, or we can talk mm-hmm. about Adam, West, Adam West's new uh, comic book series. Well, let's see. The with only two choices, we're not going to spin the wheel of morality. No, we're not going to. I'm going to. I'm going to flip the coin of integrity, <laughs> and if it comes up on the scarred face, okay. Oh, it it didn't heads. And so, what does that mean? The black cauldron. <laughs> Whichever one you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, the black cauldron. Let's yeah. go with the other one. Okay, so Adam West, uh, Blue Water Productions, has announced that Adam West. that it is partnering with Adam, Adam West on Adam a new White. comic book venture called The Misadventures of Adam West. Uh, legendary small star of the small screen, Adam West, uh, has his career <laughs> euthanized uh, ha ha, in this hip, whimsical, trans-dimensional epic of an adventure. When a mysterious fan delivers an exotic amulet to Mr. West's doorstep, he is a dorthified... He is dorthified on an odyssey that will change his career, his love life, and inadvertently make him the man that saves the universe. He's co-written, dorthified? co-written, dorthified, like uh, Dorothy, Dorothyified. Maybe oh, that's how I should have said that's that. That's a made-up word. Yes, it is. So is uh, so is hip, whimsical, and euthanized. Where it, where euthanized is y o u t h. Uh, book uh, co-written I by Adam can. West, Walter I Fernandez Jr. and. Um, Aristado Marie, drawn by Lipe, artist on the William Shatner Presents Tech War series. What do you think of this? Can you stand some Adam well, West I, in a comic I, I'm book? I'm pretty sure that every one of the creators that you just mentioned is just a random symbol. Of, <laughs> it's, it's like a Legion of Superheroes name. Written by Largan, with art by Reap Daggle. And I'm actually looking forward to this. And the main reason why is lately I've become addicted to a site called uh, TV Tropes. Right. And one of TV Trope's main pages refers to the phenomenon of Adam Westing, where you are famous now for playing Adam West. <laughs> because Adam West, I mean, Adam West played the mayor mm-hmm. on Family Guy, and he played right. the mayor on Johnny Bravo right. as Adam West. And there are times where, you know, he will play, he will play the character of Adam West who is an old actor who can't get work. Wow. And I love the fact that, you know, he has made a career out of being typecast and not being able to get jobs for a while. What was it? Um, what, the Galloping Ghost or whatever in the yeah the Grey Ghost. Series? Yeah, Grey Ghost. Yeah. That was really kind of a comeback. I don't know where he was in his career at that point, but to me, whenever you hear Grey Ghost in the original Batman animated series, that's kind of a turning yeah. point for me for Adam West because here's this guy that I knew when I was a kid watching reruns of, of uh, Batman and then just kind of being a joke and, and shuffled aside and never being able to get uh, acting roles again. And then suddenly to hear him play the Grey Ghost who the character is suffering the exact same uh, uh, fate as Adam West was yep. was very neat. And then, of course, at the end of that piece, the Grey Ghost has a resurrection. Everyone remembers him and loves him and wants him to come back into their lives. And then he has a, a change in his career, very much like Adam West has. 
And even more than Bill Shatner, I think Adam West has become a character who is essentially Adam West playing Adam West. Yes. So I actually want to read this book, if only for, you know, the, the schlock value of <laughs> Adam West writing about Adam West playing Adam West as Adam West. Because Here's- I like it. it. I like it when you get into that universal standing wave effect of meta things right. that just like an infinity cover off into the distance. Uh, President of Blue Water Productions, uh, Darren Davis, said, Adam West is a worldwide icon, and we're honored to be working with him one-on-one on these books. We are not only creating this as a comic book, but as a brand. So branding Adam West as Adam West. We have an interest already in the television world, as well as an action figure coming out from Go Hero and Zika Toys. Awesome. That, is he going to be in his bat costume? Um, you know, the cover, and you can see this over at the Major Spoilers uh, website, has Adam yep. West in a bat-like costume, has Adam West in a, um, uh, like a James Bond outfit, and also in a Western outfit. I don't know what Western TV show that Adam West was in. And then the main Adam right. West on the cover is a very aged Adam West holding this mysterious am- amulet. So, Well, my question, and this is one that, Maybe more esoteric than we can ever actually answer. Right. If Fox owns the rights to the Batman animated well, television show. Or yeah, it's kind the of The Batman split. television show. Okay, so Fox has part of the rights. Right. Does that mean that they own the image of Adam West in that particular costume, or does that fall under DC's intellectual property? I don't know. Uh, you know, the uh, I really don't know. And I, I could get a copyright lawyer on here pretty quickly to discuss that. Not tonight, of course. Um, but you'll <laughs> notice that in the... Uh, Batman Triple X a porn parody. It was the exact mm-hmm. same costume, but the symbol was was changed to the triple X's. Still the oval. Wait, wait, my copyright lawyer is here. His name is Meowzy <laughs> McDermott. Hello. The cover of this uh, Adam West, and you can check this out, has the Batman outfit, but there are no pointy oh. ears on the uh, cowl, and there's a oval absent from the uh, chest. So I think I think Blue Water may be playing it a little safe on that on that side, not to want to uh, dive into any problem well, areas. It's a comic book. Well, that's true too. You know, DC as a comic book monolith could just come down and slap the taste out of their mouths. Yep, Lady or Gaga slap the injunction out of their mouths. Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber tried to do that with those uh, unauthorized biographies. And I don't think that there's that's going anywhere. You, had you remember rock and roll comics? It's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to enforce that sort of thing. Right. Yep. You had mentioned um, William Shatner. There's a new series that he's in. Uh, Shit, my dad says, or bleep, my dad says that they're calling it. Bleep, your I, dad says. Yeah. I would actually like to see Adam West and William Shatner in a show together. How weird would that be? You know what they should do? They should do a remake of Simon and Simon <laughs> with Adam West. <laughs> And and Bill Shatner, that would be. And I think funny. it would be awesome because you know Ad, Adam's girdle <laughs> and Bill's toupee could have their own little spinoff. <laughs> they could call it Hell Toupee. Oh, that is funny. Now this and press I, release that we got from uh, Blue Water doesn't list a release date, but I, you're right, Matthew. I, I'll be interested in checking out the Misadventures of Adam West uh, when it arrives. I definitely. Yeah. I I think we're talking review time. Oh, review time. What do you got for us this when week? When we get that. Ooh, I have. It's actually a week or two old, but I wanted to get to it because sure. it is truly awesome and awesome. Okay. Way back on the 4th of July, I had time to kill. And by that, I mean I didn't have time to kill, but I wanted to give the illusion that I have time to kill. Uh-huh. And I covered the hero history of Uncle Sam. 
Yeah, how appropriate. And DC wisely has uh, given Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray Yay. Uh, their own Freedom Fighters ongoing series starring Uncle Sam and some of the quality heroes who've made up the Freedom Fighters. Yay. Yeah, yay. It's, uh, you know, bringing the Ray back and a Phantom Lady, who, by the way, wears more clothes than any Phantom Lady before her and is still sexier than most. So. Oh, really? Yeah, it's interesting. And we start out, of course, the Freedom Fighters, much like Captain America, are eternally tied to World War II. Right. The Freedom Fighters came from quality comics, which eventually in the 70s was wrapped into the DC universe as Earth-X, where the Nazis won the war. Mm -hmm. And they weren't overturned until the mid-70s. This book opens with Nazis. Yay! But stupid Nazis. Well, these boo, are, I mean, these are the really stupid Nazis. The guys who failed the entrance exam for the JSA's recent Nazi team filled with, uh, <laughs> you know, scumbags and losers. These are the guys who didn't make it. Right. And uh, they end up, you know, crossing swords with the Freedom Fighters. We get uh, the Human Bomb, mm -hmm. Phantom Lady, the Black Condor, uh, Uncle Sam, the Ray, and Firebrand, oddly enough. No doll man, as far as I can tell. <clears throat> Maybe me. he's so small you can't see him just yet. Maybe. Maybe. But there's an interesting sequence here where they're actually, they're setting them up as this really, really uh, well-trained and together group. So at one point, the Ray and Phantom Lady are having one battle in West Virginia. The human bomb is on the moon, and they decide the best thing to do is to use Phantom Lady's teleportation powers to switch places. So in the middle of these fights, they just all of a sudden switch places and boom. They're using uh, some of the Daniel Acuna designs from the last Freedom Fighters Limited. Yeah. So the, the art actually looks really good. I believe the uh, penciler is someone named Moore, Travis Moore. I'm not familiar with his work, but I really like it. And mm -hmm. this is kind of just a, a status quo setter here. The characters, these are all these guys. And at the about halfway to the end of the issue, Uncle Sam shows up, right, and says, "We we got to do something different because I'm Uncle Sam and the country needs me and it's a matter of importance." Dot dot dot, and I shall hunker down like a jackass in a hailstorm. You know how Uncle Sam talks, right? And um, he regathers his freedom fighters and they go looking and they end up finding these evil underground Aztec gods. Oh. <laughs> And it's actually really cool. It's it's not as frenetic as I might make it sound. Right. But it's you know, it's a thing where we're setting up the character, we're setting up the scene, here's everybody, here's everybody's moment, here's what they do. Mm -hmm. The human bomb blows up, Phantom Lady teleports, the ray goes pew pew pew. You know, and it's it's pretty well set up for anybody who hasn't read the Freedom Fighter. Whoops, we lost Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Well, let's hang up there and let's see if we can call him back. I don't even know if I'm going to edit this out of the show. Maybe I'll just leave it in for all you fun, happy listeners. Are you back, Matthew? Uh, hello? Yes, hello. How are you? Diane! <laughs> 
was just telling Lie the listeners I don't know if I was going to edit that out so they can actually experience what we experience live. I'm not sure what happened. It actually is just like, oh, we don't have drivers for your microphone in mid-sentence. Oh, really? That's odd. Yeah, everything it was very on, odd. Uh, obviously, everything must be okay now because we can hear you. Yeah, it was really weird. I think I'm going to call an exorcist. <laughs> and don't, don't you your say it. Your computer is clean, Matthew. So anyway, you were saying about uh, Freedom Fighters. Freedom Fighters is actually really good. Yeah, um, I'm very happy with it. I like Paul Miotti and Gray's writing on anything. I liked him on Power Girl. I liked him on The Monolith. I liked him on all sorts of stuff. I didn't read Ash from Event Comics, but, you know, there's only so much one man can take. It's about a firefighter. I understand, and his name is Ash. I yes, see what exactly. they did there. Yep. Freedom Fighters, number one, though, is four slices of meatloaf. Excellent. It's well drawn. It's well written, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a DC launch that doesn't rely entirely on shock value or you know uh, stunt casting or somebody getting killed. Cool, very cool. Um, for me, I picked up Batman and Robin number fourteen. Little hesitant going into this. Grant Morrison, Fraser Irving, um. Batman and Robin Must Die Part 2, The Triumph of Death. Matthew, you had mentioned that uh, Freedom Fighters was not just a series of, like, coming attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman, this issue of Batman and Robin kind of felt that way because they were all these little short, little non-sequitur. Yeah, just these little takes on things. And... You don't necessarily know the overall picture. You don't get the overall picture. We've got the Joker turning the tables on Damien, which was kind of a, a nice twist, um, you know, just to kind of prove that never never underestimate the Joker. We've got uh, Pig showing up. We've got Black Glove showing up. We kind of figure out why the Joker has been uh, has been playing the domino role and, and, and trying to draw Black Glove out. We see Dick really just blowing it as batman i mean batman i don't think would have ever fallen for this kind of a trick at some point or i should say bruce wayne would never have fallen for this trick at the at the point that uh, dick does getting overwhelmed by a lot of pigs assistance and and craziness your going freudian the, slip is showing there i know it's made a tweed please it's kind of scratchy um it is a very it is a very bizarre issue that's all i can say you really really need to read this probably about three or four times to start to make some heads or tails out of it and who the players are. The art by Fraser Irving is really fantastic. I mean, I like Fraser, the colors. Fraser's amazing. I've loved him ever since he did Clarion. Yeah, I, I love the style. I love the use of, of colors by, let me see if I can find the colors person. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Here's our intermission. Do, 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 I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't see the colorist here, so maybe... Uh, at least in in this uh, opening page, but it's it's so well done. I really like it. I, I mean, I like the art a lot. The issue is, again, it just feels like another bizarre Grant Morrison kind of story. I can't say that I hate it because I'm not sure that I completely understand everything that's going on. It seems like everybody has turned the tables on one another. Uh, Professor Pig is still one of these characters that I'm not under. I'm not sure what he's all about. Um, it's interesting, but I think it's only interesting to the point that I can give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. Ooh, it's it's that's good. still pretty good. I mean, it is good, and I don't want to discount what Morrison's doing this time around because I did like Batman and Robin when it first kicked off, but just the fact that the uh, jumps, the little vignettes from 
character to character are so quick and you don't have a time to adjust just as kind of off-putting for me. Now, other people who grew up in this MTV generation uh, probably eat this stuff up. But for me, three and a half. Not bad, but uh, be cautious if you go into it. It's not a it's not a great jumping on point. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I actually had to drop Batman and Robin. How come? Because bizarre, it, it's all become because interrelated. Right. In order to understand it, you have to read all the Bat titles. Right. I dropped uh, Detective Comics when Batwoman left. Mm-hmm. So I was only reading one of the books and Bat- Batman and Robin was like part three of 12. And I'm like, well, I'm not yeah. going to go looking for one and two. Right. And I can't afford to buy four through 12. So I right. just had to let it go. And unfortunately, uh, one of the reviews that I wrote this past week over Red Robin uh, kind of feels the same way. It felt like oh. they spent a lot of that time in the issue trying to talk about everything that's happened in Tim's life so that when Bruce Wayne returns, everything's put into perspective. And I kind of didn't like it from that uh, from that standpoint. But, hey, well, to each his own, your mileage may vary, of course, in all of our reviews and all of our comments. Uh, just because we don't like something doesn't mean that uh, you have to dislike it as well. I mean, right. it's our and opinion, if it's right? wonderful and we hate it, that doesn't mean it's any less wonderful. Right, exactly. Hey, let's uh, talk about uh, let's talk about the poll of the week this week. Of course, we're oh. recording this on a Tuesday. You're listening to it on Saturday. So I'm sure that there are going to be more people who have uh, – have, uh, answered this than what we have got to do every friday up on the on twitter i do a little ask major spoilers anything where people can ask me or really ask anything about the goings on of major spoilers and i will answer everyone's question just maybe not in the way that they're hoping uh and and somebody had asked me um i don't know how we got into the topic of slurm uh and i said certainly i wouldn't want to drink slurm and rodrigo said hey Slurm or Buzz Cola? That should be the the poll of the week. So they're both kind of uh, Matt Groening uh, related. Simpsons versus Futurama. Matthew, what's your favorite Groening drink of choice? Well, and this is the thing. I I love Futurama up to a point. Mom episodes are episodes of Futurama that I kind of I treat them the way I treat Meg episodes of Family Guy. I kind of half listen while I'm doing something else involving pornography. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, to me, I look at Slurm and I believe that there's an episode where we reveal the origins of Slurm. Right. And I'm just like, ew, 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 ew. But then I think about Buzz and I, I remember when I was about 14, my best friend was a kid they called the Stork. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought the Stork had brain damage, no lie. And um, he and I watched a movie called Surf Nazis Must Die. I remember it well. You remember Surf Nazis and Buzz Beer? I do remember Buzz Beer. From Surf Nazis Must Die. I have voted for Buzz Cola based on remembering watching Surf Nazis (laughs) Must Die when I was 17, 16 years old with my friend the stork. God love him. He's a father of 10 now and an Air Force veteran. But um, I just, you know, I I love the fact that you can can take these references and go other places. Slurm is gross, but, uh, you know, Buzz Cola... Gets the nod for me for a completely unrelated reason. Yeah. I'll, Although I you know, remember Jolt. Yes, Jolt Cola. Yes. All the sugar it. and twice the caffeine. Yes. Ugh. Make my teeth hurt. I think I only tried that once and it's like no more. 
It's kind of like caffeine See, pills. I, just, I can't take caffeine pills because they really bug the crap out of me. But I can drink, you know, yeah. the um, uh, blue agave, um, the not the Red Bull drink, but the equivalent of that from Rockstar yeah, Energy or one of those drinks. Doesn't bother me. Makes me poop though. See, one of my coworkers tried to uh, slip me a five-hour energy drink because they were out of Orange Monster. Yeah. And uh, most people don't know this about me, but I I have only partial use of my left hand because of an injury when I was a child. Yeah. And uh, generally, it's fine. I get kind of a a buzzing sensation, like my hand is half asleep most of the time. Yeah. Well, I I took this five-hour energy drink, and I'm all of a sudden bouncing off the walls, and I can't feel my left arm, and I can't stop talking. I'm talking (laughs) like this, and I'm talking all the time. And at work at the time, we had little radio mics where we would talk to each other and communicate with the workforce managers. And I was like, guys, I don't want to scare anybody, but I can't feel my arm, and I can't stop bouncing. And Jennifer's like, five hour. (laughs) was awesome oh oh yeah, and by just, the way rico rico are you listening dragon storm <laughs> for me you know i love futurama i think it even even now the current season that's going on is far better than what simpsons has going on and i know it's going to oh, yeah. anger a lot of people but the simpsons hasn't been funny since conan o'brien left as one of the writing as member of the writing team that's just my personal oh, opinion i cannot future drama has had a good season too. yes uh, I could not, for the life of me, ever figure out a reason beyond that Slurm is highly addictive why I would want to drink the juice out of the butt of a giant bug. Uh. Now, you may remember, Matthew, when uh, when the Simpsons movie came out, they had the uh, they turned all the 7-Elevens into uh, the Quickie, Quickie Marts, Marts, and they actually offered Buzz Cola. Really? As a product you could buy. Yeah, it was like RC relabeled. I didn't uh, remember that. That's yeah, cool. one of my friends, actually, I think that was the year he went to San Diego or something, one of my students, and he came back and he was like, look, Stephen, we brought you a can of Buzz Cola. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is cool. And I thought it was very neat. And I set it up on top of my filing cabinet where it sat as kind of a novelty item, just like, you know, people have bought bottles of Coke in the glass bottle from 1962 or whatever, and it still sits there and it's fine. Well, I was moving offices two years ago, and the thing sat there probably, what, three or four years, just sitting there, not disturbing it, nothing going on. And then when I was moving offices, I said, oh, I got to grab my can of Buzz Soda, grabbed it, and half the filing cabinet came with it. The Buzz Cola (laughs) ate through the can, ran down the entire side of the filing cabinet, and was a complete mess. So if you're wanting to know what Uh cola does to your guts, uh, Buzz Cola Uh is... uh, is probably doing that, but uh, considering drinking the the juice from the butt of a bug, I'm going to go with Buzz Cola. But did they sell Duff beer? I don't remember if they sold Duff beer or not. I I I want to say no, but I'm sure we could find. I'm Duff Man. So how did everybody else it, vote? Well, so far at the Major Spoilers website, www.majorspoilers.com. If you go to the big map, you'll see that we don't have one. <laughs> you know how a couple of months ago you did a major redesign? <laughs> yes. What happened? And you know how you move things? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't remember where the poll of the week is. Oh, it's on page two. It's on page two. Hang on. Okay. Remember, kids, even if you have a script, that doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Usually I just click on the little clicky link and it's no longer there. Yes. Yeah, uh, out of, let's say, 11 teen- 50. No, that didn't either. <laughs> how about 228? 228? How about, yes. how about, what about 962? How about uh, 540? I wonder where Ruth is. 
<laughs> okay, wait, we're getting there. Three, two, one. Major spoilers. Poll of the week. Spoiler rights. Choose Slurm. Almost 66%. 66.6%. Well, Rico does 60. say Slurm just because it's advertising drink Slurm. It's highly addictive. Truth in advertisement. <laughs> it only took a thousand years plus the episode where we learned the secret of Slurm has to be one of the funniest uh, of all time. Um, <laughs> what about soil and Cola? How is that? Yeah, oh, it varies from person to person. Person to person, yes. Uh, half Awful. Half Wit says Buzz Cola twice the caffeine or uh, twice the caffeine, twice the sugar. Uh, Cardboard Monocle says, Buzz for me with a twist of tomaco, which is another reference to a Simpsons episode where they combine tomatoes and tomaco, or tobacco together. Tobacco, yeah, they make a, a, a hybrid animal. In, re, in regards to your question about Duff Beer, there is an Australian brewing company that makes Duff, but uh, Duff Beer was not sold at 7-Eleven because the promoters wanted to have good, responsible fun. <laughs> however, they did, however, they did release a Duff energy drink. In place of did it taste beer. like orange monster? Because I if so, you can know. give me an IV. I don't know. You like that stuff? I had an orange monster after work today so that I could stay awake for the podcast. It was all awesome. right. All right. I see where you're going. I see where you're going. Tell oh. you what, let's take a quick break. Take a quick break and listen to some comments that we received over this past week. And uh, then we'll come back and talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hey, guys. It's Rodrigo. Um... Somehow, you know, it always happens. Uh, I'm always out of town when Steven has people over. It's almost like he plans this out. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm out here in the boonies. Don't have any comic book or pop culture references out here except wheat. People like wheat, right? Like in cereal and stuff. Anyway, um, I'll talk to you guys later. Okay, bye. Hi, Major Spoilers. This is Lee Goldberg. Um, I saw that you're reviewing um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy this Saturday, and I wanted to talk a little about this very special book. Now, to me, this book I consider a personal Bible. I first got the Ultimate Edition, that's the first five books, when I was 10 years old at a sleepaway, at sleepaway camp from one of my counselors. Ever since then, every year since, I'm now 24, so that's about um, 14 years, I've made it a habit to read the book once a year except for the last three years in which I've listened to it as an audio book on my iTunes. Very few books you can re- a person can read 14 years in a row, but that's really a testament to the Hitchhiker's Guide and, you know, its special place that it has in many of us geeks' uh, hearts. Uh, I just wanted to drop a line to mention that. Thanks again for everything you do. Bye-bye. This is Dragos Kai, the snarky review guy, coming to you once again from the sunny streets of Florida. Taking some time off, redone my segment, so let me know what you think. Now let's get started. Starting with 2012, the movie 2009 about the mind prophecy of the world ending in 2012. Let's start with the good. The good is it was very pretty. It was well done cinematography-wise. Art direction was good. It did what it said it was going to do, which is a special effects powerhouse. Now, the bad, the acting. Get better kid actors, Hollywood. That's all I'm saying. And also, quit giving Kevin Spacey work. He's not an attractive front man. My verdict, see it on cable. Don't waste your money renting it or buying it unless you really like mediocre disaster movies. Go see Day After Tomorrow above this one. 
Now, you can contact me at dr- twitter.com slash dragoskai, D-R-A-G-O-S-K-A-I. This is Dragoskai, the Snarky Review Guy, signing off. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, calling in with your contributions this past week. We appreciate anybody and everybody who calls in or emails in their um, their uh, comments. I really do like the phone, you heard phone from call Pope people. Pope Mario in a few weeks. Have not heard from Pope Mario in a few weeks. I wonder why. Maybe he forgot the, the phone number. Matthew, can you give out that phone number to the Major Spoilers hotline? The phone number is 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers woohoo hotline. While we were, uh, you know, paying close attention to all the comments uh, from this past week, Matthew and I were still able to hold a, a side conversation that this is a quite a different show. It's, uh, it is. This this is a Tuesday show right. done Saturday style, and I think that it's you know people people mock us, mock, but there mock. really is, yeah, there really is a script and a breakdown, and I like the fact that we can do the Tuesday show Saturday style. I think we should do a Saturday show Tuesday style and see how it changes. <laughs> Point number one, Matthew. Uh, in the uh, <laughs> opening chapter of the third verse in Morrison's Fancy. <laughs> So I don't, I don't remember when it happened for me. In fact, I do. Growing up, I was. <laughs> no, I'm not talking of some Dosecchi's commercial. Um, I had a weird childhood in that my listening experience to music really kind of started with music, the beginning of music. My parents did not listen to Top Forty. They didn't listen to you know a lot of the popular culture stuff. So I grew up listening to NPR and music from the 70s, and I really had a big kick in high school where I was just listening to 50s and 60s music. And it's not until in, in probably the last 15 or 20 years that I've really gotten into music from, from the 80s a great deal. But one of the uh, benefits of listening to NPR was one day, I, every Sunday, they would run these radio dramas. And I don't remember, Matthew, if you remember listening to these. But they would have, they had Doc Savage, they had radio drama of Doc Savage, they had uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back done up as radio dramas, and they were excellent. But the one that I fell in love with, I just caught by chance dialing through the dial on the uh, FM band late one Sunday uh, evening, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I thought, what in the crap is this? This is like ten kinds of awesome. All the doors would open... Have a nice day. And then they, and then they, uh, I, I can still, if, if you gave me like five minutes, I could probably remember the jingle that uh, share and enjoy, share and enjoy. Lots of fun for a girl or a boy. That was like the jingle for the company that made the, uh, that the doors. Right. It was such a well-produced show. And I was like, what is this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And then like a couple of weeks later, I was at a... Uh, a Walmart or something when they still had like a books and magazine section. And there on the yeah. shelf was a little paperback copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Begged my mom to buy it for me. This is, I had to have been in like fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. Begged my mom for this and instantly fell in love with what Douglas Adams had created. How old would we have been in sixth grade? 12? I'm, I'm thinking I had to be between 10 and 12 when I first experienced it. So 1980, let's see, it... Uh, a- 81 was when... In, well, the book came out in 79, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to think when it aired, because, you know, just uh, after I fell in love with The Hitchhiker's Guide, um, mm-hmm. we found out that PBS was airing the BBC rate, uh, television show, and it was only airing right. it on Channel 19, which was the hardest channel for us to get, 
But my mom actually <laughs> took the time, stayed up late. This was back when VCRs actually had tuners in them, and you had you could tune in the the station to get a better signal. She actually stayed up right. on the premiere night of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and tuned the VCR so that it would pick up Channel 19 so that I could watch uh, that first episode. And that's that's one of the nicest things that's that she's ever done. Uh, but, you know, oh, that's even sadder. All the way through uh, high school and even through college, through all the incarnations of the uh, five book trilogy, or is it a six book trilogy now? I don't remember. I it's, have I have just been a fan. I, of I'm a terrible Scott. person because I refuse to recognize the non Douglas uh, Adams written. There's episode. only one, though, right? I mean, if you look at the uh, So Long and Thanks for All the episode Fishes. Episode six is written by someone named Ian. Okay, so I only go up to uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, the fifth book. And uh, fish is the fourth book. The fifth oh, book okay. is mostly harmless. Oh, mostly harmless. Okay, yeah, I go up that far, uh, and that's about where I stop on that. So, how did you get into Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Matthew? Um, well, when I was in high school, I was um, somewhat less than socially apt. What I was socially you? Inept, no you way. Know. I know, right? At the time, I really liked Wolverine. What? And um, no wonder. Yeah, I know, right? No wonder you were socially inept. <laughs> In any case, um, my nerdy friend Brian, who uh, had a Buick off of which I later fell while drunkenly surfing after uh. watching Teen Wolf, um, had read it first. And, you know, Brian was the coolest kid that I know, or at the time was the coolest kid that I knew. And right. he was like, you should totally read this. And we actually, you know, I read that and I was just polaxed. This would have been probably, I want to say 84, 85. Mm hmm. So a little later than you, but it was at a point where it was, you know, it was breaking really huge and everybody was like, oh, and I think there was, I want to say the computer game yes. either had just come out or was just about to yeah, come the computer out game came when out I read 80, the book. I think the game came out in 84. I, I remember playing that and being okay. totally confused by it. 84 sounds right. And, and uh, there were three books at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to read Hitchhiker's Restaurant at the End of the Universe and Life, the Universe, and everything in about 10 days, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And just love the language, and I love the digressions. And I think that for people who complain about my digressions in Critical Hit or in the Major Spoilers podcast, really, I blame Douglas Adams. Oh, yeah, so do I. Because I, there, yeah. there, are points, there are points where Douglas just stops. There's one that I really loved because... Um, and we're going to get an adult tag anyway. Oh, sure. Um, I'm not going to put it on there. So little the British kids version of the book. Mm -hmm. In the British version of the book, a man walks around with uh, his award that he won for the most egregious use of the word fuck in a screenplay. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, in America, they wouldn't let him say fuck. So he said Belgium instead. Oh, yes, yes, and yes, they yes. actually inserted an entire <laughs> chapter in the middle of the narrative to explain why the word Belgium was replacing the F word in this, this portion of it. And I love the fact that Adams took the time to throw this in there and just was like, okay, fine. You won't let me use the F word? Boom, here's an extra right. chapter. Well, here's the, here's the and thing as about... I got, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. As I got older, I realized that that's what he did every time they adapted it. Mm -hmm. There was something new because I, I read the books, and then I saw the BBC television series, and there was stuff that I didn't recognize. And then I walked into GB Records, yeah, probably that. in our freshman year of college, yeah. and GB Records had the cassette tape versions, the mm -hmm. LPs, 
of the movie, or in this case, the LPs of the LP. Right. And I bought those, and there was stuff in there that I had never seen. And yeah, it seems like every time they they readapted it or rewrote it, Adams would throw in more stuff. That's that's the weirdest thing about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is Adams just didn't say this is the definitive edition. He would go back and change stuff because when you talk about well, which version of Hitchhiker's Guide do you do you recognize? I mean, I found it through the radio series, which is where the guide started. It started as a BBC drama. Then only later was it adapted into a book and then video game or a television and video game and then mm-hmm. re-releases of the book. And I, I have noticed that other people have told me this, too, that later editions of the book had different chapters or different verses or different passages in it than what they've w- read yep. before. And it, it always struck me as interesting that Adams was not afraid to go in and say, you know, this is this is rubbish or this needs to be embellished or this needs to be tightened up and would just go yep. in and tighten it up and change it. If you, if even you really, to the point when, when the American movie was made, there was a lot of noise about, oh my gosh, and they're making changes and they're changing this. Right. He took he took a random passage and turned it into what actually worked as a Hollywood movie through line. Mm-hmm. He took that line about the Jar Trevartrid people who had thirty five noses and thus were the only uh, species to create the handkerchief before the wheel. The wheel yeah. Or no, it was it was underarm deodorant because they have right, thirty four right. arms. Right. And they took that and he adjusted that and he took that and threw it in and, and made it into the movie. And I just felt like he he was never satisfied with the work. I don't think he was ever satisfied and he would always go back and every time there was an adaptation, I think he felt the need to go in and fix it. Mm-hmm. To make it better, to try and get it right this time. And I love that that instinct. I, I love the thought that no matter how famous or how rich he ever got, he still wanted to go back and make sure that it was just note perfect. Right. And I, and I do like that. I mean, there's something interesting about this because I know a lot of us uh, growing up, and especially probably Matthew and I more so in our age range than other people, grew up around the time when UFOs were still kind of mysterious and outer space travel and, U- and, and visitors. Of the and gods. Yeah. Yeah, and of course you had uh, fire in the sky and all those kinds of things and, and communion. Close encounters with a raisinette. Yeah, and so suddenly to have this comedy come out that was about aliens and space travel and put it in this little mm. quirky British, and I you know I know that there's a lot of our, our listeners from across the pond who listen to this and go, what Tittle do you mean? Quit? Yeah, exactly. But that's what I found so fascinating is that Douglas... Would I should call him Mr. Adams? Used to would use the language and use the characteristics of the people to create mm-hmm. something that was just spit take funny. I could not ever read Hitchhiker's Guide with a drink nearby because I would be spitting it all over the room. Yeah. You know, just in the middle and, of you know this this whole passage at the beginning where we're talking about you know digital watches. And, yes. you know, he'll go into a chapter the about <laughs> how about the monkeys came down from the trees and some of them decided that, uh, you know, that uh, they should go back to the trees. And some people decided that, no, that wasn't even good enough. They should go back into the into the oceans. And they he, never should have left the oceans. Yeah. And that there's these whole pa- passages and chapters, uh, not chapters, but passages devoted to that kind of off-brand humor just struck me as a brilliant way of telling stories. So as you talk about digressions, that's kind of, I'm not into it as much as you are because I think uh, Douglas Adams came a little bit 
before my formative years, you know, a little bit before 85 when we were talking before. So it was always a part of me, but not to the point maybe with you to where it really became ingrained in how you communicate and how you do things. But I always thought these little off comments and these little off bits were fantastic mm. and brilliant. There are several stolen Adams lines that I use on a daily basis. Okay. Um, the one that I that I know I use every, nearly every day of my life is when someone says, oh, this will be fine or this will be great. I'm like, oh, well, this is obviously some new definition of the word great with which I was previously unfamiliar. <laughs> um, one of the ones that always stuck with me and the moment that really sticks with me is it starts – with Arthur, who is a completely right. normal, schmendricky guy. Yeah. And he wakes up and something bad is going to happen. And you know something bad is going to happen from the language. And mm -hmm. there's a moment where Arthur gets up and brushes his teeth and he thinks, yellow, that's odd. And for like an entire chapter, there's this weird, what's going on, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, yeah. he oh, runs the way, outside to stop the bulldozer down. from yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the way that works. The, there's there's an introductory chapter where he's arguing with this gentleman, and then his friend Ford shows up. Ford Arthur Prefect. is a completely unremarkable guy, and Ford Prefect shows up, and Ford, in a, just this this show of like Bugs Bunny brilliance talks Arthur into going to get a beer mm -hmm. and talks the guy who wants to knock down his house into lying down in the mud where <laughs> Arthur is lying. Well, essentially. And yeah, you're yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. The, this Ford thing is interesting. And I'm like, okay, Ford's going to be this wacky guy. And it turns out Ford's a freaking alien. <laughs> right, right. And I just the I moment where, where Ford logic. is... I love the jumps of logic in that passage where, you know... Uh, where Prefect is talking to the to the foreman and says, hey, look, you're not going to be getting any work done anyway today, right? And he's like, well, no, I don't suppose so. So really, if my friend and I just popped off to the pub for a little bit, you guys wouldn't uh, still wouldn't be able to do any work? And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. Would it be better if you laid down in the mud? Oh, yes, yes. It's just, it's, yeah. it, it, you're right. It is Bugs Bunny-inspired uh, humor. Yeah. And then, you know, the thing that really sells it for me, and I think the thing that, with you take into account suspension of disbelief, right? You have to say, is it realistic that one bald man would interact with every single mutant on planet Earth, or is it realistic that one kid from Kansas grew up knowing everyone who was going to grow up and become a psychopath in the world? You know, all you can't have all of your high school friends grow up to be evil. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. But at the very beginning of this series, Ford and Arthur teleport off Earth just as it's being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And they land in, you know, they land in peril. And to get out of peril, they end up teleporting into empty space. And they interact with a stolen ship. Right. And the ship is powered by improbability. Yes. And right there in Chapter 3, we have set up anything in the world can happen because the improbability drive is in play. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if, say, they want to get out of a problem, if they have something, you can literally use that improbability drive to explain everything. The improbability drive did it. Oh, really? Yes. So the guy who saved us happens to be Ford's cousin, and he's accompanied by a girl that Arthur hit on unsuccessfully at a party a few months before. Right. Right. You know, it's completely improbable. That's okay. The ship is powered by improbability, and now we're cha-chaing, yeah. you know? Uh, you know, in this book, we're introduced to a lot of, beyond just this uh, ship that looks like a well-designed running shoe, um, beyond <laughs> the improbability drive, we're also introduced to the concept of, you know, a good uh, um, 
hitchhikers never never leaves home without his towel. We're introduced to the right. Babel fish, which I think is a brilliant plot device. Um, we're introduced to this concept that bureaucracy doomed the Earth because you know this uh, interspe- interstellar highway. Uh, the plans have been <laughs> located at the uh, at the planning office, uh, just three light years away. Why didn't you people go to do it? And so, thus, the Earth was destroyed. It's everything going through this book is is brilliant, including this uh, this bigger plot reveal that. The Earth really isn't just a planet, especially in this first book, that it's a giant computer and has been running for billions of years trying to find the question to the answer of life, the universe, and everything. The ultimate answer. And they spent 40 billion years previously figuring out the answer before realizing that no one knew the question. That's that's the upshot of that whole bit that's so brilliant. The answer to life... The universe and everything is yes 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 yes, yes. is yes forty two what <laughs> now forty two I, I, I will say this in our I've discussion calculated it. <laughs> I will say this in our discussion it has probably been easily fifteen years since I've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy so a lot of this is memories that I have over the uh, the the five books uh, I don't have my copies here because Rodrigo has them. So if I'm if there's gaps in my memory, it's because it's been 15 years since I've read it. But this book is so powerful that it has made that impression on me. And even though I've traveled across the country back and forth multiple times, there's two things that have always been constant. My comic book collection has gone with me every move that I've made. Now, other things when I move, they get tossed out. Books get tossed out, magazines, movies, technology, furniture all get ter- tossed out every time I move. But the original books that I bought as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, have come with me. You were all a over ten year old, twelve year old. Yes, I was a ten year old, twelve year old. Between those ages, whenever I picked up those uh, those first three books in the series, um, they've gone with me everywhere. And I, there's just something special about them. You know, the um, Ford Prefect's uh, cousin, um, Zephod Beeblebrox, who I always looked at you and always thought of you when we were going to college as the Zephod Beeblebrox. Not that you had two heads. Or that you were the president of the galaxy or anything, but that you acted so cool, even though you were kind of a cad and kind of a of a lech, you know, that kind of a... I was kind of a schmuck, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what Zaphod is. I mean, he is this guy that's an opportunist. Uh, I'm not saying Matthew is like this all the time, but I mean, oh, the, the air and the feeling uh, that Zaphod gives off is very much the same vibe that you get from Matthew. But uh, Zaphod thinks that stealing the uh, Heart of Gold ship... And going to, um, oh, what the hell is the crap's the planet? Uh, not Millaways. Magrathea. Uh, Magrathea, that he's going to find a, a great treasure. And it turns out that the treasure is the fact that that's the planet that makes planets. And we are introduced to all sorts of great characters in this first book. Slarty Bartfast. Uh, we're introduced to these intelligent mice. We learn that dolphins were the most intelligent uh, being on the planet Earth. Uh, my favorite character, though, in this entire series isn't Arthur Dent, who really is, you know, in a plot if, in, in, in a plot device, we call it a MacGuffin. Uh, Arthur Dent is really the MacGuffin of this book. He really has no purpose except to lead the reader through the entire event. At the beginning, I, I yes. And I yeah. think I, I think that Arthur exists less as the, you know the companion character that you know Harry Sullivan, uh, Ian Ian, what's his face from Doctor Who? He starts out as almost a parody of that, as mm-hmm. this character who's like, "What? 
what? And not understanding anything that's going on while, yeah. you know, Ford and Zaphod dance all around him and make him look like, you know, a phoebe. Well, even when the ship is being attacked and by the, uh, by the defense system of Magrathea, he's like, what? What? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And everybody's shouting out all these things because they're all well-seasoned space travelers and he's this noob. And then he accidentally bumps his elbow into the improbability drive and turns one of the missiles into a giant whale and the other one into a pot of petunias whose uh, final thoughts were, oh, no, not again. What's really fabulous. Yeah, go ahead. Is the when I I I can't remember if it's one of the radio shows or if it's the LP that I have, but there's a moment where at the end of that sequence, they they cut to narration and, and, you know, the narrator in Adams's voice is like in. It's it's well known that too much anticipation can cause all sorts of ill effects. So right, we're going right. to tell you what happens. Everyone survives with the exception right. of the pot of petunias and someone who gets a very badly bruised arm. And for like the whole episode, they don't they make no mention of the bruised arm. And then at the very end, there's this little stinger, and Arthur's like, "I suppose this would be simpler if I didn't have this terrible bruise on my arm." Right, 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 right. right and it's right. The, you know it's that whole it's a brick joke basically throughout the whole thing. But. My- I love the fact that it is Arthur who comes up with that. And I'm not sure if he bumps it in the novel that I read or if he asks, why don't we just engage it? And no one knows why not. Yeah, maybe that's it. I I think in the movie he did bump it, but I think in the book he's like, well, what happened? Why can't we just engage the improbability drive? Yeah. Yeah, why not? And everyone's like, bump. And Zaphod Beeblebrox uh, gets a new... uh New respect, kind of. Hey, the Monkey Man always calls him Monkey Man, to much yeah. to his chagrin. Uh, monkey Man figured it out. You know, uh, Trillian serves her part. She's the uh, only other Earthling, at least in these first three books that we that we know of. Uh, Ford Prefect, right. Arthur Dent, Zaphod Beeblebrock, Slarty Bart Fost. Uh, obviously, the book itself plays a role. But by far, my Don't favorite character—that's my favorite character of all time. <laughs> And not because if you read it in the book, Marvin doesn't come off as really anything other than someone with an attitude problem. It's Mark Wing, uh, it's not Mark Wing David, uh, Stephen Moore, who played yep. uh, Marvin in the radio drama, that just totally sells that. Hello, my name is Marvin. What can I do for Brain you? Brain the size of a planet, uh, they asked me to come yeah. down and open a door. <laughs> life, don't, <laughs> don't talk, talk to me, to me about, about life. life. Yeah, I just love... That interpretation I didn't of Marvin. Ask to <laughs> now I've got to ask you a question because in the uh, TV series, Marvin is a very square robot with all of that yep. beep bop beep bop kind of movements, and a lot of people right. know Marvin from that. But in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Movie, um, American movie uh, that was made in 2005, he is totally mm-hmm. rounded in shape, a uh, totally different looking character. What did you? He looks think like of the Cox change? Cable mascot. <laughs> Have you seen these commercials? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. What did you think of that change? Did you like that change, or was that something that was like, meh, I'll pass? Well, I will say this. At least they left the original Marvin prop in the movie. Right. There's a right. sequence when they're all queued up, and, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they bump past the original Marvin prop. I didn't hate the change in Marvin simply because every time they adapted it, you know, Adams did something different. I loved the fact that Professor Snape did the voice in the movie. Mm, mm-hmm. Because if you listen, Alan Rickman's voice will be perfect for Marvin. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Alan Rickman. This is Alan Rickman. But 
I, I you know I like any take on Marvin has to include two things. Right. It has to include the voice that sounds depressing, mm-hmm. and it has to include terrible sarcasm, and I hate everything. Yeah. So I mean, Alan Rickman is dead solid, perfect for that sort of voice. I you know, I can take or leave a lot of the effects in the movie. I did not care for the American take on the Heart of Gold. Yeah, I didn't either. But I think that Marvin works because Marvin isn't about what Marvin looks like. Marvin is about how Marvin acts. Mondays. And if you, you know, in the book, as they get to the point where things are happening, they actually have a climax. And then the characters are trapped and they're under fire. And there's no way out because, and, and Adam says this, we have no hero character. Right. We've got Arthur the Everyman and Trillian the girl sidekick and, you know, Ford the cad and Zaphod the quasi-villain. There's no leader. There's no hero. So Marvin saves the day. Right. But Marvin saves the day in such a terrible way that you look at that and I'm like, that, that's just amazing because it's a complete anticlimax. Marvin connects to the ship of the policemen who are shooting him. And he depresses the ship's central computer so much <laughs> that it commits suicide yeah, and yeah. shuts off the oxygen for the cops who then die too. Yeah, and that's totally. And then they all again, go out that's for original lunch. to that that's original plot to that movie. I mean, you didn't see that in anything else. You know, the first book really stands alone as a great uh, introduction to the world of of the guide and to Douglas Adams's work. But if you listen to the radio drama first, the book is only the first half of the original radio drama series. It only went through mm-hmm. uh, Fitz 1 through 5. And it's uh, uh, Fitz right. 6 through 12, which take the uh, adventures a step beyond to the restaurant at the end of the universe, where things get really trippy, and they do some time right. travel, they do some... Uh, uh, we actually find out the, the at least a bit of the question to the answer, or the answer to the question... Uh, the, I'm confused, yeah. uh, but the it's a really great it's a really great book in that um, after they've done whatever they need to do at Magrathia, they've reawakened the Golga Frenchians. Um, Zaphod's like, hey, let's go to Millerways. And the idea is you put a penny in your account now and then you travel to the future. Right. And so that at, at the future, the interest rate has accumulated. Compound enough. interest will have given you <laughs> enough. Yeah. And the idea is that, the reason why it's called. Point. The reason why it's called the restaurant at the end of the universe is it's literally the universe is coming to an end and you can dine and you can uh, enjoy yourself while you watch all of creation collapse. Yeah. Do you have any idea how much damage that bulldozer would suffer if I just let it roll right over you, Stephen? <laughs> no, no, I don't. None at all. <laughs> and I so, think that uh, yeah, go ahead. It, it's – well, part of it – and I know that some of the time travel wacky doodle – comes from, I think, Adam's time working as the script editor for Doctor Who during the fourth Doctor's tenure. Mm, okay. But there's there's a lot of stuff, like the whole time travel thing, that's that's the specific the thought process that you can tell, and I think it's around season 15, 16, somewhere in there. But there are moments where the man really achieves brilliance. When, when the explanation of the Babelfish Uh-huh. The, the bizarrely prob- improbable coincidence that something so useful could evolve by chance that some people prove it as the final proof of the non-existence of God. Right, of God, I'm like, yeah. wait, what? Yep. 
They're like, ha, it proves you exist, so therefore, by your own arguments, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Oh dear, says God, I hadn't thought of that and promptly vanished in a puff of logic. You know, that that sort of thing, those little side things and those little bits where it's all about character and nuance and, and dialogue, that's what really makes the book work for me. It's not mm-hmm. about, oh, and now they have to save the universe or, oh, they have to figure out the question to the ultimate answer. Mm-hmm. It's really about a load of Dingo's kidneys. Mm-hmm. And how Ulan Kalufid's final book, well, that about wraps it up for God, made him more money than anything else. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's fascinating to me just to listen to it. Space is big, really, really big. big. I mean, you may think it's You far. won't believe how vastly, <laughs> hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you think it's a long way down the road to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space, man. I love. I like the monetary the, unit conversion explanation. I mean, really, if you think about it, Matthew. You know, you know what's really cool, Matthew, is I have my own Hitchhiker's Guide right here with me. It's called the iPad. <gasps> and now you can go to hell. <laughs> so, uh, of the original three trilogy books, the ones that were based essentially off of the radio play, uh, to the most part. Uh, we've got uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, right. Life, the Universe, and Everything, which was uh, kind of this weird, trippy, crazy robots bent on destroying everything else in the universe uh, kind of story with Arthur saving right. the day and more time travel. Which of those three was your favorite? For me, it was the original. Um, okay. The second book... The second book doesn't suffer necessarily. It's mm-hmm. just as good as the first in my mind. But the second book isn't as catalyzing, isn't as like, you know, lightning bolt brilliant. Right. Life, the universe, and everything has a central problem for me. Which is? Life, life the universe, and everything needs a central hero. Mm-hmm. And the character that they use as central hero becomes Slarty Bartfast. Right. Slarty Bartfast in that role works to an extent, but it's a big stretch to put Slarty Bartfast in as essentially the doctor saving the universe. Well, you say the doctor because that's originally what this book was adapted from, was adapted from a Doctor Who... Doctor uh, Who and the Cricket Men. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is just... And I think that... It will blow your mind, I mean, if you think about that. It really will. And, you know, the whole thing is all very rude, especially the part about the little red ball hitting the (laughs) the high sticks. But I think that Restaurant at the End of the Universe changes its focus Mm -hmm. to Zaphod. And don't get me wrong, Zaphod is awesome. And Zaphod is a great character. But Zaphod at the center, to me, isn't as much fun as that first series is where, you know, we're trying to figure this out. Zaphod is the driving force behind the elements of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. but he's the point of view character for a lot of restaurant at the end of the universe. And it kind of takes some of the edge off of Zaphod. It's kind of like that point where the Punisher appeared in everything. Right. And it, it led to, you know, a little too much Punisher. I feel like um, restaurant at the end of the universe may have, not quite too much Zaphod, but enough Zaphod to realize how much Zaphod is enough Zaphod. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, no, it makes complete you know, sense. F- I think my problem with uh, the third book, and that's my least favorite of the series, even though 
upon subsequent readings over the years, I've grown to appreciate it a lot more because of some of the weirdness that goes on in there. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, there is almost too much of certain characters at times to where I was literally having to put the book down going, all right, this is too much right now. And I think Zaphod is one of yeah. those characters. Well, absolutely. But there's still the brilliance that the, the, the engines howled and whined like tired children in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. There's still the brilliance throughout that, that whole episode. And it ends the same way that the first book ends with a complete non sequitur. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. We're trapped in the past. Lovely. Right. And the, the Golga Frencham B arc cracks me up every yes. single time. Because I know that every job I have ever had <laughs> is one that would end up on the B arc if Earth had one. Telephone sanitizers and you know, second marketing specialists. You know, this dint, is this is what Arthur I dint. do for a living. Dint, Dint Arthur, Dint. You're, you're a neat Haven't Arthur. I done you before? <laughs> what about? Uh, and you know what's really sad is in the in the entire history of the universe to date, he only got from Arthur Dent right back to Arthur Dent right. <laughs> Another brick joke right there. Yeah. Um, nineteen eighty four. I don't know when it was published stateside. When it was published paperback tra- stateside, because that's when I would have read it. I know I probably checked it out from the library. So long and thanks for all the fish. I mean, I had devoured the other three books before then. Mm-hmm. Um. What do you think of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish? I think it's stronger than Life, the Universe, and Everything. Oh, certainly. It's very Marvin-centric. It is Marvin-centric, but Marvin works as a central character because you can understand Marvin. Marvin hates everything. Mm -hmm. Life is like a grapefruit. It's sort of orangey, yellow, and dimpled on the outside and wet and squishy in the middle. Oh, and some people have half a one for breakfast. (laughs) Um, I think that so Long and Thanks for All the Fish takes Ford back to a point where Ford is awesome. Mm-hmm. Because Ford has that moment where he has to break in to uh, break into a shop and steal a bunch of electronics. And the cops are like, there's been a break-in. And Ford's like, a breakthrough, a scientific breakthrough, coming through. <laughs> and at one point, he's trapped around the Pleiades, and he uh, calls the London speaking clock to run up a huge bill to piss yeah. off the people that he's hitchhiking from. Ford becomes kind of a trickster god character in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, in that mm-hmm. whatever is the most annoying thing that would still have him be cool, yeah, that's awesome. And it does have that one realization that is absolutely true. Any civilization that needs to include detailed instructions to use a toothpick is no longer a civilization of sane yeah. people. The, uh, Moisten pointed end in mouth. Insert in tooth space. If you need to, if you need instructions of how to use a toothpick, the world has gone wrong. Yeah, I guess the thing that I like about life, the universe, and everything, and so long, and thanks for all the fish, is this very. Uh, metaphysical spiritual idea that uh anyone can fly you just have to trip right. and then before you hit the ground you have to be distracted by something so that you, you fail have to, to forget to you have to miss yeah. the ground i really like that idea in both of those books and i like how it's explored and how uh arthur continually is throwing himself at the ground so he can learn how to fly and it's not until i think we get to the uh, fifth book mostly harmless uh, right. That he's kind of mastered that, but 
You know, I remember reading so long and thanks for all the fish. It's at this point I can just remember that it was a dolphin, a dolphin thing. Uh, why the Earth came back, but for the life of me in '92, I cannot remember hardly anything about mostly harmless. Mostly harmless actually has a subplot that's really, really disturbing, where the guide itself is the villain. Hmm. Um, the the new editor-in-chief of the guide is using the guide, and the guide has become possessed by this reverse temporal creature that exists everywhere to where it's actually, they only sell one guide, but they sell it over and over and over again. Hmm, okay. And it has that really, really awesome beginning where it's like anything that happens, happens. Anything that in happening, causing something to happen, still happens. But it doesn't do it in order. And I love the way Mostly Harmless ends. Because for, what, 15 years, four books, Mm -hmm. we've been dealing with Arthur's travels. And somewhere in the middle, Arthur finds out how and where he's going to die. Right. And when it happens, it still completely surprises him. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Spoilers! (laughs) But, you know, there... There, well, but what's great was, about that? With that this story, what was that character's name? Was it what uh, Agrajag or whatever? That was the cool part about um, life, universes, and everything uh, is. No, I've brought you too soon because it's this reincarnation bit <laughs> where this character keeps getting killed no, time and time I don't again, care and keeps if it's getting impossible. I'm well going to kill you anyway. Yeah, and uh, that's how that fourth book ends with that assassination attempt and Arthur not getting shot. But instead, right. uh, Agrajag uh, getting hit hit by that. That's I remember that. Yeah, and Agrajag was also, if you read carefully, with the bowl of petunias, or no, the whale yes. that said, "Oh no, not yeah. again." No, no, no. It's the petunias because that's why the petunias say, "Oh no, petunias? not again." Yeah. Yes, he was. He was the petunias. Yeah, there's a which great I statue. Kind of- there's this huge statue of Arthur Dent in, uh, and I forget. It, it, changed from book and it changed from the radio play and everything this giant statue of uh, arthur dent that had a million arms and a million feet stomping on ants and And swatting at flies they're all killing yes yes again and again and again Uh, now uh, i think probably the part of the reason why i don't remember mostly harmless that much or i don't remember it as much as i do the others is because i didn't read it multiple times mainly because in in 1992 when we were in college i got into other douglas adams books and I loved, loved, loved the um, uh, the Dirk Gently stuff, the Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. That is a brilliant mm-hmm. piece of writing if people want to read something that isn't space, but it is still kind of uh, science fiction-y in a sense. And mm-hmm. I, it, the fact that there's time travel involved and that it involves um, music and, and, and everything. If you haven't read that book, that- I really encourage people to read Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. That book is likewise an unused Doctor Who script. Oh, is it really? Okay. Well, part of it, yeah. Uh, Professor Cronatus, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, came from uh, an unused Doctor Who, and it's the legendary Shada, or Shada, depending on where you are. I'm from America, so I don't know how the English pronounce things. But the whole thing with Professor Cronatus and his, his office that was also a time right. ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bigger on the inside. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, this is this is part of the story from Shada, or Shada, or Shada, 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 Shada. Shada. Spell it. But 
Uh, S-H-A-D-A. Oh, okay. I would say Shada, but that's just Shada. me. Yeah, sure. And there's a little chunk of City of Death in there, too. But um, the second one, I think, is interesting because Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul... Yes, has Thor um, Gives us... Yeah, it gives us a take on Thor that just... Stan Lee did an equally fascinating take on Thor, but they could not be further apart. Mm-hmm. And there's just this awesome bit going through it where Dirk... Dirk isn't even really aware of what's going on. He's this guy who just goes through life. There's a point where Dirk's car breaks down by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls a tow truck. He can't pay the tow truck. The guy won't help him, so Dirk steals the tow truck. Yeah. Drives two miles down the road, parks the tow truck. Five minutes later, the guy rushes back, comes screaming down the road in Dirk's own car, which is now fixed. Gets out to check <laughs> on his tow truck. Dirk steals his car back and gets his car <laughs> fixed for free. I love that. just that awesome thought process where, yeah. you know, that far down the road, he knew in a minute that guy would have his car running. Now, there is a... And apparently uh, a family of starlings made a nest in the engine. The, um, the BBC is actually adapting Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency into a series of four one-hour episodes or two two-hour Mini movies, yeah. This was something that I have not posted up on the site, but it's uh, been floating mm-hmm. out there that that's what they're looking at. And I would really welcome that first book because it's just so brilliantly done uh, from start. You to know finish. who should play Dirk? Who, if he's not too old, Stephen Fry. Ooh, that would be really good. Although he is kind of old, though. Stephen Fry may be too old. Um, you know who else I think would be interesting in my mind? Jeremy Clarkson from Top Gear. I don't know I don't if Jeremy ever does like any acting. Yeah, he's he's this gearhead. He's like six foot ten, and he's ever so very British. And he talks like he's from Oxfordshire, of course, and that's also cool. And my name is Jeremy. <laughs> but <laughs> what know, would I what would be, would be awesome, awesome though if they really if this really is an adaptation of a Doctor Who script? Just get David Tennant to play Dirk Gently. Oh, you know what though? Get Tom Baker <laughs> to stick, play the old. Stick a wig on Tom Baker. No, just have him play have the t- old uh, the old professor. There you go, Cronatus. Um, I don't know. Dirk is always described as just a big fat man with a ridiculous hat. Well, that's true. And too. I don't know if you remember my hat. Yes, I do remember from that. Uh, my ridiculous hat. I think perhaps I should play. You Dirk probably, Jenny. you probably could. You really probably because could. I think you know Dirk is kind of an ass. I believe there's a running gag where. Uh, Dirk, one of the people that Dirk hosed was the uh, the horoscope editor for the London Times, <laughs> who every every day's horoscope is you're a terrible, fat, horrible person and your hat is ridiculous, <laughs> and no one can figure out why circulation of the paper has dropped by one twelfth. <laughs> you know, there were two, uh, one other book that is an extremely important book, I think, for people to check out is actually not a fiction book that Douglas Adams wrote. Uh, but it's a, it's a, I don't know who he did it for. I don't know if he did it for National Geographic or just on his own. Uh, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a book called Last Chance to See. And it is a personal account of Douglas Adams traveling around the world looking for these animals that are about to border on, on the, they're on the edge of extinction. And it talks about how he goes to Madagascar looking for these lemurs and how he goes looking for um, some penguin down in, in South America or something like that. 
And it's just a fascinating, fascinating series of essays as he goes looking for the black rhino and all of these things. And the book is good. Don't get me wrong. The book is really good. But if you really want to experience Last Chance to See, get your hands on an audiobook version of that because it's read by Douglas Adams and it's powerful and it's amazing. And you will not regret getting that in in audiobook form. Just his last reading of the... uh, of the parable slash you know, the parable story that he does at the end just will make you rethink uh, what we're doing uh, on this planet. It's an extremely good book. I don't know. Have, nice. have you ever read that or listened to it, Matthew? Um, Carl, my college roommate, was a huge fan of it. I don't think I ever read it because it was at a point in time where Carl was a huge Nine Inch Nails fan ah, okay. and I kind of hated Nine Inch Nails so there were times when I would ignore Carl's references on things because I was trying to irritate him about Nine Inch Nails um, <laughs> well, pick, I know pick, the pick one that the I did book. read pick up the audiobook. was The Meaning of Lif did you ever read The Meaning of Lif? no I didn't The Meaning of Lif is a book where Adams and a friend um, created a dictionary mm. of words that should exist, but don't. And one of the words was gastard. And gastard <laughs> is the name for a person whose parents were not married because bastard has been taken to do something else. And shoeberryness is the vague, uncomfortable feeling you get when sitting on a seat that's still warm from somebody else's butt. <laughs> and and uh, Lif is a book the contents of which are totally, totally belied by the cover, such as a book that says, this book will change your life. Yeah. And if you look at the cover of The Meaning of Lif, it has a sticker that says, this book will change your life. Yeah, that's funny. So if you buy the book The Meaning of Lif and look up The Meaning of Lif, The Meaning of Lif is actually a joke about the book The Meaning of Lif. It's awesome. Going back to Hitchhikers for a moment, there were a couple of other stories that we probably ought to touch on. I don't know if you've read them or not. Um, yes. The first is uh, Young Zaphod Plays It Safe, which appeared in a large print collection of the Got books. It. Did you ever read that? I paid like $39. Yeah, it was expensive. For you the, really had the, to go out to order The leather-bound, yeah. gilt edge with a little thing in it. It's the nicest book that I own, with the exception of my mint condition copy of the Encyclopedia of Supervillains. Um, it, and it was totally worth it, even though... Young Zaphod plays it safe. Does not make sense mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> There's nothing in the story that makes sense, and yet you still read it, and you're like, "Oh, that's awesome." We like looking at things that are perfectly safe. So, <laughs> I, I've not read yeah. it. I have no idea what happens in that story. Um. It doesn't really have a whole lot of sense. It's actually oh, okay. uh, Zaphod, Zaphod gets a job disposing of toxic waste. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be chucked in a black hole, but this is actually young Zaphod. So his two heads haven't been you know messed with yet. And right. Zaphod has this whole thing where they're trying to figure out what to do with this incredibly dangerous thing and finally mm. it ends out that the dangerous thing is actually an android or actually several androids and one of them ends up coming to earth and may or may not be Ronald Reagan <laughs> who was president <laughs> at the time give or take uh. so you know it's it's one of these 
fascinating things where, and they also, uh, they explained the first time the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's an energy source that you use to mine energy from the past. Uh huh. And provide cheap energy and just drain all the energy out of the past. And the past is a cheap, you know, it's a cheap form of energy. And everybody was like, oh, this is great. We need to keep it in proportion. It'll be fine. And it's only when those selfish bastards in the future start doing it that they actually banned the draining energy from the past. That's, I love that's that joke. That's funny. That is, I mean, that's a, an incredible economic metaphor if you think about it. Where, you know, oh, we'll just drain money from the past. Wait, they're doing it to us? Crap. <laughs> Yeah, Young Seifod plays it safe is is for the completest. It's still uh-huh. Adams, and right. the worst Adams. Douglas Adams' writing is like pizza and or oral sex. The worst you'll ever have is still pretty damn good. <laughs> what about uh, the Salmon of a Doubt or Salmon of a Doubt, depending on how you say it? Salmon of I have not read Salmon of a Doubt. I have not either. Apparently, according to the wiki entry, it was supposed to be a third book in the Dirk Gently series, but ended up becoming. A, essentially a uh, an essay or a large collections of essays about technology and life experiences. Um, I really? haven't read it. Maybe some of our listeners have read it. Um, do, do, so do, do, do. People might want to check that out. Do, now, if we're talking complete hitchhikers and the one that, again, that you say you don't recognize, and to be honest, I have not read it. I mean, when I heard the announcement back in 2008 that the, uh, I don't know how to even pronounce his name, Oyuan Kolfer, uh, the Artemis Ian Fowler, the Artemis Fowler My name guy, is Ian Koefer. was commissioned like to write that. the sixth uh, Hitchhiker's Guidebook. I was like, I'm not. I'm sorry, I'm not going to read that. I'm not uh, interested in it. It was only that's, released what, I mean, last year, uh, October of 2009, in the U.S. That's hard for me because there are people who have read it and on our on our forums, in fact, and swear by it, really? and I don't. I guess I shouldn't say that it's a bad book or that I think it's going to be a bad book. I don't. And I don't think that it's going to be, you know, a horrible, you know, abortion all over what we love about Douglas's blah, 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 fish cakes. <laughs> I read comics, and comics for 70 years have been about plundering other guys' ideas. But Hitchhikers right. is such a – it was a one-man show to me. It was Douglas doing stuff. This isn't like, you know – the season of Doctor Who that he was script editor, there was still a producer and a director and Tom Baker and all these people with input. Hitchhikers is just Adams writing stuff. Right. And if anybody else had an input, if the editors or another writer had an input, it's really not clear. There's, you know, there's a very obvious author on board sign, I guess is what I'm saying, when you mm-hmm. read anything up to the you know the first four hitchhikers books um the ultimate hitchhikers guide book the big thick book yeah that i have that is pretty much your collection yeah that's it to me and i don't you know i'm not going to say that and another thing is a bad book bits and pieces of it actually sound fascinating mhm there are, there are parts of it that i really want to know what happened because it starts at the point where mostly harmless ends, from what I understand, where everybody's about to croak. Right. But I, again, I just, I like that closure. And I, I especially feel like, you know, with that character or with that, that author, 
who is so tied to these characters, gone. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's not even a question of respect, because I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's very respectful, actually, to want to go back and do something with those characters. And, you know, Adams, I think, was quoted as saying he would probably want to write another book at some point if, it, you know, if the idea came to him. Right. But I don't know. I, Ian Colfer. Ian Colfer. That's my name, Ian Colfer. I feel like mm, we'll never be Douglas Adams. Yeah. And it may be it may be the problem that I have, you know, change is bad. <laughs> change yeah, is understand. horrible and I understand. It would be like, you know, let's say next week you're hit by a bus. No. And we continue the major spoilers. Let's say Rodrigo's podcast. hit by a bus. Okay, let's say Rodrigo's hit by a bus. You know what no. it is? Let's even take it further. Now wait. This is not <laughs> talking about dead people of a Hispanic persuasion, but do you remember right. a series called Chico and the Man? Yes, I do. Freddie Prinze. Jack Albertson and Freddie Prinze did two seasons, I think, of Chico and the Man. And then Freddie Prinze died at his right. own hand. And they continued Chico and the Man. And they brought in a new character that the character that Jack played called Chico. Mm-hmm. So there was a new Chico, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it was never quite the same because Freddie Prinze was gone. It will never be the same. No matter how good um, and another thing could be, it's not going to be Douglas. And I, I don't know if you know, – I think it just comes down to a question of I think I would be sad. If I loved it, I'd be sad. If I hated it, I'd be sad. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. it just completely rolled off the end of the pier and I didn't care, I'd be sad. Reading a book that Adams should have written is depressing. And mm-hmm. reading a book where somebody comes in and bowdlerizes Adams' stuff and if he were to do it poorly would be depressing. But if it would be worse if I read this book and then I just, eh, meh. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, that's, it's, that's it's a guest appearance. That's kind of a bad down. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a guest appearance of the Liberty Project in a book that I don't read. There is one out there. I love the Liberty Project. I have all of their solo books, all seven of them. But I haven't sought out the Liberty Project crossover cameo because it'll never be the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they knock down Agnew Hall and things will never be the same. Uh, it's kind of sad seeing that big empty dirt hole right now. I know. Did you Just imagine having lived there. Did you ever forget those pictures? I think I did. All right. Well, that's the uh, thing. Real- you know, I, I kissed a lot of girls in that building and now it's gone. And Douglas is dead. And now I'm depressed. <laughs> How about one one real quick uh, fire thought here? Um, Hitchhiker's sure. Guide to the Galaxy, the comic book from DC Comics in 1993. They made a fundamental error for me that ruined that book from the very beginning. Vogons? Nope. Go ahead, guess. You'll never guess. Uh, I'll never guess then, so what was it? Okay. Do you remember seeing Ford in the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember how Ford was just this unassuming guy? Right. And uh, he was just this little guy who came to Earth and mistook the uh, dominant life form, which is mm-hmm. the greatest joke ever, where Ford named himself after a car because obviously the cars are in charge. That's hysterical. <laughs> if you look at the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comic books. Right. Zaphod is obviously alien because you can do Zaphod well in a comic book form. 
You don't have to worry about rubbery heads. You don't have to worry about the thing they did with Sam Rockwell where the second head was under the first head. Right. That was pretty brilliant. It wasn't great, but it was pretty brilliant. And it was a good way to get away from the question of how are we going to make this work? If you read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comic book, Mm -hmm. you know, issue by issue, their Ford is wrong. Ford is just like freaky. And yeah. Ford is clearly alien and clearly bizarre. And the whole point of Ford is that he's not alien. He's not bizarre. Yes, he's a weird guy, and he'd have sex with a triple-breasted whore if he could do it. <laughs> and I think he has. He said something about her erogenous zone starting a full five miles from her body. But when you look at that portrayal of Ford as you know this alien clown shoe, you can't, to me... Take it seriously. They undermine one of the basic premises of the whole thing by turning Ford into this Ace Ventura-looking guy. Yeah. Whereas to me, Ford should just be some guy who looks like, you know, he could come from somewhere just outside of Guilford. (laughs) That's Zephod. But Ford looks like a guy. Ford should look like he's a guy who could just wander around and convincingly make you believe that he comes from Guilford. Yes. So I couldn't stand the comic books because of that image. You know, because in my head, Ford just looks like some guy, you know? Yep. Ford, actually, Ford in my head always kind of looks like, um, ah, God, what is the guy's name? Now I can't remember the actor's name. He, Mark Strickson, who played okay. Turlow in uh, in The Fifth Doctor. He's just oh, okay. this, this little red-haired, unassuming British guy mm-hmm. with a bad haircut. That, to me, is kind of what Ford looks like. So, you know. I couldn't stand the book because of that, and I never got past the first issue. I was, I've always been, ever since I saw the BBC TV series, I've all, my mind has always been permanently switched to Simon Jones and Jeffrey McGiven, uh, Susan Sheridan, and, and Mark Wink Davey as all of those characters. I can't imagine anyone else in those parts. Same way with I can't imagine Peter Jones, uh, anyone doing the voice of the book other than Peter Jones. And I love the fact that they they used Peter Jones as not the only book, in the radio series, our- but in the TV series, in the movie, yeah. and I believe, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, when the BBC uh, resurrected the uh, the Hitchhiker series uh, to do the last remaining books, that they were also able to get parts of him or parts of it back into uh, into that mm-hmm. series as well. So, and even in the movie, when they arrive at Magrathea. Mm-hmm. Simon Jones, no relation, right? Who played Arthur in the Arthur TV Dent. show is yeah. is the voice Dent Arthur Dent, yes, yes, <laughs> is the the voice and the face of the Magrathian. Yeah. Oh, we're so sorry, we're going to have to blast you out of the sky now. Yep, yep. I love Simon you know, Jones's that's voice. Awesome. Love Peter Jones's voice. It's 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 awesome. So Matthew, is hopefully, everyone in Britain named Jones, <laughs> Jones and Baker. Everyone in Britain is named Jones and Baker. Uh, hopefully, doesn't... hopefully, Rodrigo, you are traveling the highways and byways of Western Kansas, and you've popped this episode onto the uh, onto your MP3 player or CD player or whatever it is that you listen to while you're on the road. And hopefully, Matthew and I's conversation, our conversation, has convinced you to pick up the damn book and read it. Yeah, what are you, some kind of wise guy? 
I mean, really, do you think that it's relevant for people to read Hitchhiker's Guide today? I mean, just in our closing closing moments here, what's a Absolutely. final recommendation? Final recommendation is must read. Clearly, must read. Even if you hate it, it's a must read. I agree. This is this is the novel equivalent to me of Star Trek: The Original Series. Mm-hmm. You you may not love it. You may think it's ridiculous. You may go, oh well, this part was lame. Although that was kind of cool, and I like the part where the you know the flying egg creature ate Kirk's brother. <laughs> I, I think you have to read it. The problem is going to come in Rodrigo having a couple hours to sit down and read it. Yeah, really, you can get or, you know, the first book in like three hours. Well, yeah, but that you know that's presuming that you're not Rodrigo and running around and recording sports and doctors on crack and all that stuff. And <laughs> plus, he has an imaginary girlfriend now. <laughs> She's from Canada. You, about, you don't know. You her. can read about her uh, adventures on Fridays at the Major Spoilers website. Uh, in our major spoilers <laughs> adventure series, yes, she everything that it, you so read, gave it to her, and then she moved away, and then she like died, so you can't dies, call her and check her. Or nothing. Yes, everything that happens in the major spoilers adventures is is actually based on actual events. It's uh, true. Yeah, my recommendation is do go out and check out Hitchhiker's Guide if you can get the radio series. That might be the best way to get into into it. I think the radio series is much better than the audiobook versions of uh, of of the five or six books. And, and I really think people, if they got into the radio series, would enjoy it a lot. The BBC television series, if you can get your hands on it, I know it's still out there. It's going to feel real dated if you watch it. But still, the graphics today, I still think, are fantastic in the style that they did it and all the animation that they did it for the book guide. I thought thought are wonderful. It's less dated than it is vintage. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of the, of the 2005 movie. My wife, on the other hand, loved it, thought it was fantastic. Um, but, you know, your mileage may vary. But definitely, definitely, definitely. If uh, if you want to understand where Matthew and I come from a little bit more, Hitchhiker's Guide is a is a is on the must read list. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully, Rodrigo will be back on Tuesday, and hopefully, unless we have you know uh, Grant Morrison who comes on the show or uh, or Jeff jo- uh, Johns who wants to come on the show, hopefully, we'll be back to our regular schedule <laughs> in just a few days, and then back to our regular weekend shenanigans. Uh, after Jeffrey that. McGivern. All right, everybody, thanks so much, and we will talk with you again real soon. Oh, yeah, don't forget, Black Sad, Tuesday. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers, and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.